Some people think little girls should be seen and not heard. One, two, three, four! People do feel very radically different about gender experience. I mean, that's just like the rules of feminism. That diversity is like the number one thing I think that has to be reckoned with. Agenda with women in the arts. You're listening to Agenda by Women in the Arts. I'm Isabel Hawthorburn. And I'm Katie Winton. Exciting to hear about that All the Best event. If you want more details about that, just head to the FBI website. So today we're talking a little bit about the Ovarian Psycho screening that we presented last week for Queer Screen Mardi Gras Film Festival. And that festival is running until the 2nd of March, so you should definitely check out some of their really brilliant films. Um, We'll also be talking to Courtney Sanders in about 10 minutes from local company Well Made Clothes about the complicated relationship between fast fashion and feminism. Yeah, last week we co-presented the documentary of Aryan Psychos, which is about a bike brigade of women of colour and GNC people in Eastside LA. The film's narrative follows three of the overs who are all in very different stages of their lives and also details activist burnout and the familiar relationships and tensions that arise as a result of having a commitment to being a really strong activist and also having family obligations. Yeah, it was a really incredible story and it def- I don't know about you, but it definitely made me want to ride my bike more. <laughs> yeah, same, but for some reason I feel like the effect of us riding our bicycles around Marrickville and our overalls with like purple helmets might be a little bit different. Yeah, I don't think the helmets are like particularly <laughs> tough. Very important, not very cool looking, but I'm definitely inspiring to their level of like toughness and actually like when I came out of the film I felt like a kid watching an action film like I was like and I think I saw that on a lot of people's faces they were like I can do anything I yeah. was so like but actually on a more serious note um, I, it was interesting thinking about the erasure of women of color in the American civil rights in like lots of American civil rights movement but particularly in the Chicano movement and this documentary seemed different because um, it kind of puts traditionally erased experiences of um, Latina women at its centre of the film. And that's really, it was exciting to watch. And it's exciting to see the ways that documentary makers, and I think women documentary makers at the moment, are, um, are challenging the social practices of dominant visual rhetorics um, without kind of reinscribing those kind of hackened documentary modes of like, yeah. I completely agree, but I think there definitely were certain elements of the documentary that seemed to reinscribe those traditional ways of seeing, for example, like the woman as victim trope. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree with that. I just, I think that that might have been inescapable because part of the the, the unifying reason for a lot of these women um, embracing ovarian psychos was that they were responding to gendered violence and trauma. So I agree that some of it, some scenes did seem like that it was very much like the woman is the victim but I feel like that's just the nature of ovarian psychos was that mm. even though it was about kind of resistance people were coming to that resistance because of their experience of violence yeah and gendered definitely violence. The, yeah yeah I mean I thought it was really interesting the way that they spoke about different kinds of gendered violence as being interrelated so the violence that you experience on the street is all part of a continuum which also relates to family violence rape murder all of these things that are really interconnected that people often don't draw parallels between yeah, and that's the thing. I think that was something that was like handled very um, artfully, I guess. And I, I think definitely, in even in Australia, there's this tendency to think about that people are too sensitive and that maybe like the language, you know, people get too offended by like certain words. But I think that the language that you use on a day, day-to-day level um, normalise certain ideas about um, related to the way that we like perceive others. And it's... 
it's easier to enact violence on somebody whose life you don't value as much. And so it's those kind of, it's the language that you use that kind of diminishes the value of someone's life that can seem very inane and very kind of just like funny. And obviously like Australian humour, it's very like, I don't know, like it's, it's, we just make fun of people. But there's a difference between that, that kind of humour or just like the way, it just in the workplace or something like that, that language that kind of, normalizes and devalues someone that relates to exactly what you're saying that like continuum of like devaluing life yeah well I think it was really interesting the fact that the criticism that they received as being a bike crew that were cycling around as well there were a lot of um Facebook forums or internet forums where people were saying things like what's the point of this what is like why is this important what are you doing you're a feminist group um, who are riding to reclaim the streets but what are you claiming you know that like I think people failed to see the significance in them physically taking up space and even just taking up space in terms of their words and their language and the things that they were the messages that they're putting out into the world I think it, it totally relates to this thing of of violent language that you're talking about. I think that was a really interesting thing. There's a great quote from the Ovarian Psychos director in the interview that curator and writer Chloe Hazelwood did for our website. It says, in the film, we cite a devastating global statistic from the World Health Organization that one in three women will experience physical or sexual violence. The threat is real for women and disproportionately affects women of color. In the story, we've tried to underscore what really seems to be at the heart of the OVA's organizing strategy, the idea that building sisterhood or siblinghood is a form of protection from violence. They confront it head on when they chant whose streets, our streets. Yeah, I think you, when you just said that, that kind of made me think about that idea. I guess like we've been talking about a lot about like what it means to like come together and rights of assembly and like, mm. you know, how meaningful it is. But like I cry in a lot of movies, but like <laughs> I got like very, very weepy. Just like there's something about people coming together and being present and being visible, particularly if you're like an undocumented person the act of like being visible and like coming together and saying that like I'm here is like incredibly moving and mm. yeah so that was like something that I I don't really don't know how to explain why I find it so kind of like why I think it's important or why I find it like it just well, it's makes forming me want a community cry. right yeah, yeah yeah but just like that kind of I think like some of the comments were like what what are you even doing like yeah. what is your platform and it's like when violence is so insidious and so secretive and like that's what you find in the film is yeah. that like so much of the violence happens in these very secret ways and families obscure them from like yeah, view. and so yeah I don't know it's just like like when people like what are you what are you even about it's like there is just like it's such a huge political act just to be seen and to come together mm. and you don't necessarily need it to be like this is our three-point plan and it's like but they did have that too they had exactly. a lot of organizing strategies and they had some really fantastic names for their collectives as oh well what God. were some of the names some it of, was ah. like it was like left ovary yeah right ovary is like the, the clit rubbers yeah. i think was were like what HR like the, the hr yeah <laughs> and we were yeah i guess it was like because in past episodes we've talked about the kind of essentializing language of like the pussy hats and how that mm. seemed a bit kind of gross and it's like you're only part of this movement because you have that genitalia but in this context the ovarian psychos is a space for trans folks and gender non-conforming people and and women and the kind of language uh, like reproductive genital like I don't know how oh god I'm really stumbling <laughs> <guess> over this <laughs> but like it wasn't about having that it was about like identifying that as a form of strength yeah I think, rather like, than having to have exactly. ovaries and yeah. it was kind of it seemed transgressive to use something that didn't seem okay so it seemed transgressive that something that isn't like traditionally seen as tough and these women aren't necessarily seen as tough women 
and they're becoming tough. It mm. was like, it just seemed way more nuanced and like exciting than yeah. something like the Pussy Hats. Yeah. Anyway, it's given us a lot to think about. Sorry. But um, on Tuesday, we're screening a short film by Sydney director Hyun Lee called French Girls at Down Under Space, which is a new gallery downstairs from Frieda's in Chippendale. And there's also a performance by Megan Clune, who founded Alaska Orchestra. She'll be performing a solo set. You might know her from Ears Have Ears Live that happened at FBI last year with Rainbow Chan. And there's also a screening of Jean-Luc Godard's My Life to Live and a French experimental electro DJ set by FBI's own Tia Newling. You might know her from The Bridge. It's going to be so good. We literally started this off as like, oh, we'll have a film screening and it's blown completely out of control. <laughs> and we're like, we should also get DJs yeah. and also experimental music. Um, so it's going to be really, really fun. I think Katie's going to make popcorn. At, what's it called? Pop teasers. Pop teasers. Which it's is be good. popcorn and Maltesers. <laughs> <laughs> it's brilliant. Um, I don't want to give too much away, but Yun Lee's film is uh, its kind of about a model's existential dread. So after this song, we're also going to be talking to founder of Well Made Clothes um, and editor of Catalogue magazine about the complicated relationship between fashion and feminism. Yeah, stick around because Courtney Sanders is in just after this track by Les Amazons d'Afrique, which is an all-female collective of West African musicians campaigning for gender equality. This track is called Dombolo. You're on Agenda.
That was Les Amazon's Daft Freak. We're joined now by Courtney Sanders, the co-founder of local business Well Made Clothes and editor of Catalog Magazine. Hello. Hi. <laughs> um, what is Well Made Clothes? Um, so Well Made Clothes is an online platform which provides information about and the ability to shop. I guess responsible fashion. Um, the heart of Well Made Clothes is our eight Well Made Clothes values, and then all of the brands that are stocked on the site and all of the information we write about the fashion industry reflects the nuances of those values in one way or another. So they are transparent, minimal waste, fair, vegan, gender equality, sustainable, locally made, and handcrafted. I didn't realize it was vegan. Yes, there's a vegan section. Oh, okay, right. It's yeah. not all vegan. It's not all vegan. Yeah, right. No. Can you talk a little bit about the role of feminism in relation to fashion and why the gender equality kind of section of well-made clothes is so important? Yeah. I mean, it's such a massive topic. And I think it, um, for me, there's, I try to separate it out. It's like, how, do, how does fashion and feminism interact in the like developed world? And then how does it interact in the developing world. And I think um, in the developed world, fashion and feminism interact um, in terms of how the clothing that women wear affects um, how we're seen by society. I think the semiotics of the clothing that women wear affect our entire lives, you know? Um, We're judged by what we wear in very often derogatory terms, you know? Like rape cases have been overturned because short skirts have been too short or trousers have been too tight. Like it's mental how um, how nuanced what we wear affects our lives, I think. Um, and then I think also on top of that, you have the fashion industry at large um, dictating really a really narrow idea of the ideal woman, both um, women's bodies, women's beauty, um, and a lack of diversity. So I think those are the two big issues, like the semiotics of women's clothes and how the fashion industry dictates a really narrow definition of, of what it is to be a like beautiful woman today. Um, and in the developing world, it's much more about the human rights of women, right? So we're talking about all of the basic human rights of an employee living in the developing world, but then we're also talking about... because when So 75% of the garment of garment workers worldwide are women and they face all of the same kinds of discrimination that other gender genders face but on top of that they also face um, sexual assault, sexual harassment, forced contraception, they often get taken away from their children and support structure in rural communities to work in the cities. Yeah, so so it's really important to think about um, the gravity of, of women's rights when it comes to fashion. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and it's interesting that the well-made clothes kind of looks at both of those sides. Because like we were talking about how like, you know, in the 80s, advertisers, maybe even before that, advertisers mm-hmm. learned that like if you make women feel bad about themselves, they'll buy more things. And then like maybe like I feel like it was 10 years ago. They were like, oh, empowerment is kind of working, so we're going to empower women. And then, like, now, like, maybe two, three years ago, feminism started being this thing that could sell stuff. But for the idea that you can use feminism to sell clothes um, that are made by women that are, like, deeply oppressed by that same industry. And so it's, like, it's definitely something that you don't want to reconcile and you don't want to have to think about it because it is, like, they are so at odds with each other. Like, can you speak a little bit more about that kind of, like, the... Yeah, well, I think there's a really amazing book that was written in like the 90s called The Beauty Myth by Naomi Wolf. And so she basically unpacks how as women gained more and more power in traditional capitalist structures, the patriarchy worked out more sort of nuance and um, 
nuanced ways to subjugate us and one of those ways was through beauty and fashion. So especially in the 80s, you saw this like working woman had to dress a particular way, had to wear particular makeup and footwear and that was more expensive than what men had to wear. Therefore, even though they were in the workforce, they were still poorer than men in the same positions and and it just got more, it's become more and more, I guess, insidious over time. And now we have, yeah, as you said, it's like hijacking a movement which is supposed to be about empowering women and actually using it to sell us stuff and subjugate us again. And then within that empowerment movement, using, like, so you're subjugating women in the developed world by telling them that they need all of these things to be truly empowered, but those things are also made by exploited women. And I think it's really important that, um, that I mean, particularly everybody who is fighting for women's rights understands that connection between the quote-unquote empowerment products that they wear at marches or whatever and and the production supply Mm. chain of those because there's probably nothing more hypocritical than wearing a feminist T-shirt that's made by an exploited woman. Mm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) We're going to talk a little bit more about that in one second. I'm just going to pop a quick message from All About Women on... Contemporary feminism, gender roles, and nasty women. All About Women returns for 2017, exploring equality, the depiction of women in the media, and the impact of war. Engage with ideas that matter more than ever, Sunday, March 5, at the Sydney Opera House. Check out the full program, featuring Janine DiGiovanni, Julia Enders, and Ensemble Offspring, at sydneyoperahouse.com forward slash AAW. Sponsoring FBI. Maybe I'll just shoot you in the head. Back to Back Theatre returns with their most ambitious work yet, Lady Eats Apple. Piss off. Hate, God, creation, love. Lady Eats Apple, Back to Back Theatre, Thursday, March 16 to Saturday, March 18. Carriage Works, sponsoring FBI. This is Agenda with Katie Winton and Isabel Hawthorburn. So we've been talking to Courtney Sanders from Well Made Clothes kind of about the hypocrisy of commodifying feminism for like a product that is being made by oppressed women mm-hmm. in the developing world. And I was wondering if events like the um, the factory collapse in Bangladesh a few years ago and the kind of uncovering of like H&M and their kind of human rights violations mm-hmm. and maybe like Primark, I don't know if that was like, yeah, Primark- that was a while ago. Well, Primark were di- direct, like H&M I don't think were ever directly connected to the, the um, Rana Plaza collapse, mm. um, whereas Primark were. So they were actually making product on that premise, yeah. Do you think that like those kind of events, is it, does that, is that bringing that hypocrisy to the light? And like, have you seen within the kind of fashion industry a changing attitude towards that? Like it's. I think definitely like slowly but surely people realise that like the globalisation of fashion production has created massive problems. I think the biggest problem is that the supply chain is so complex, like from the seed, like the cotton seed to the retail floor, that it's really hard for people who aren't in the industry or don't have a lot of time to spend reading and unpacking this to figure it out. So I think a lot of people um, like, 
just go I can't deal with it because it's too massive and that's fair enough because it is too massive it's like do I focus on the environmental issues or the human rights issues or the feminist issues like where do I start and how do I get to the bottom of it um so I think that's why I'm well made clothes like the whole thing is like there is no such thing as a perfect brand or a perfect consumer it's it's impossible in this current industry for anyone to be perfect so it's kind of like we encourage people to kind of like pick a battle it's like if you really care about um environmental issues then you should be buying organic cotton and sustainably produced if you really care about human rights issues you should be buying fair like product that's certified fair like and and often if you choose one battle because companies that are certified fair care about this kind of like the the industry at large they will also tick other values and like you'll be contributing in other areas that you're not aware of but um i think that's what we need to be trying to explain to people don't just like look at the rana plaza collapse or something and go oh my god it's horrific i need to change everything it's like you can't change everything so just try and change something you know like yeah just on that on not being able to change everything I think there is this misconception maybe that ethical fashion is a really expensive thing to Mm -hmm. get involved in I think we've spoken about this before where people get really overwhelmed with saying things like oh well it's just for people who have a lot of money yeah which is not necessarily true can you talk a little bit about what people can do or what people can kind of get involved in without having to you know spend a million dollars on totally I think um Firstly, waste is the biggest problem in the fashion industry. So on average, Australians throw out 30 kilograms each of clothing a year. It ends up in landfill. So the first thing I would say is like buy less. So instead of buying, you know, 10 things from fast fashion a month, maybe you buy one thing that is fairly made or something like that. And that is not only a better produced item, but also contributes less to landfill because you'll inevitably throw some of those fast fashion items away. Um, The second thing I would say is buy secondhand stuff um and thirdly like quote-unquote ethical product doesn't necessarily have to be that expensive you know like organic cotton t-shirts are coming down in price all the time and aren't necessarily that expensive I think if you actually go looking you can find really really um fairly priced ethical fashion product but yeah if you don't want to go down that route like investing money in ethical fashion stuff then just buy less and buy secondhand I think We're nearly out of time, but just quickly as well, you recently launched a gender equal tote bag campaign. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, totally. So like I um, obviously am a feminist and like, you know, everyone in well made clothes and stuff always like is going to the women's marches and is and wants to wear feminist merch. I want to wear a T-shirt that shows that I'm feminist or I want to, you know, but we, I was telling you the other day, I emailed so many feminist merch companies asking them like just, hey, can you just tell me where your product is made and by who so that we're going to write an article, we really want to celebrate it. And one out of, I think about 25 got back to me telling me where their product was made so this kind of led us to be like we we need to do something for international women's day on march 8th and we want to show that like how the whole production supply chain is a feminist issue and also that fashion can be empowering for women we always talk about how like subjugating it is but it can actually be empowering for women so we commissioned an artist here caroline walls to make a gender equal tote print um we then commissioned freeset which are a company in india um and they're amazing it's run by two kiwi guys and they make certified organic cotton and fair tote bags t-shirts travel bags that kind of thing like basic fashion items um but they save women from sex slavery and reskill them and employ them in the fashion industry um kolkata where they're based has the biggest sex slavery industry in the world and so that's amazing like empowering these women 
who have gone through unimaginable trauma. Um, and then also right now they're building a thing called the Gateway, which is a building at the start of the red light district, which will provide essential health care um, and accommodation for women who are still trapped in sex slavery. So we teamed up with them to make the tote bag. And like, it's so amazing. We got the, um, like the women, because of how much trauma they've been through, we had to make sure that they were comfortable printing the print, like that the print didn't trigger anything for them and all of these kind of things you have to um, think about when you're dealing with people who have suffered so much trauma and they were just so excited and so pumped to be part of the project we've got like all of this video footage of them making making the totes and it's really cool and so those are just they're being sold on on one way clothes at the moment and all of the profits go to the get to the gateway building um as well as um we're doing an event at vamp in melbourne uh this week and all the ticket sales and profits from that go to it as well great we'll pop a link up on the agenda page to direct people to well-made clothes and where you can have a look and buy a tote bag and have a look at what well-made clothes do we're a bit out of time but Courtney, you've chosen this track by Alanis Morissette. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Who I heard sold more copies of her 1995 album <laughs> Jagged Little Pill than Nirvana did of Nevermind. Yeah, I've become like, it's like, aside from ethical fashion, my one <laughs> goal in life is to make everybody care about Alanis Morissette as much as I do. Um, well, you're definitely preaching to the choir at Agenda. We're excellent. Girls. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much. Thanks, Annie. Thanks, Courtney. Some way to sneak me in and go By the empty 
responsible for your fractured heart and its wounded feet and